Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And thanks once again for joining us as we continue our series on 30 years of Orlando Magic basketball. We will be joined tonight by the man who was credited for starting it all. The Senior Vice President of the Orlando Magic, Pat Williams, will be here in just a little bit. But first, some thoughts about Super Bowl 53. A lot of people yawning over that particular 13-3 New England Patriot win. But my favorite thing about that is that, hallelujah, defense matters. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm one of those old school guys. I love defense and running games and things like that for winning football games. And, and shootouts are fun and exciting. I like those, but you don't want those all the time. And it was a uh, stellar defensive effort by both teams. The Patriots thoroughly confused uh, Jared Goff, the Rams quarterback. They really held them in check. And if you'd have told me New England was only going to score 13 points, I would have said the Rams are winning the game. Uh, the Patriots were able to move the ball pretty much between the 20s, but the Rams defense held tough and made plays and kept them out of the end zone for quite some time until New England finally rested the game away. So the other storyline from Super Bowl 53, low ratings. Lowest rated game in a very long time. So yes, people are having Pat's fatigue. Yeah, I guess everything, you know, we can't just say we're tired of the Patriots now. We have to attach fatigue to everything. Then you look at the fact that there was no New Orleans or Kansas City fans <laughs> in this game. Somewhere, I'm sure, but uh, not the masses as both those teams felt like they were robbed of their chance to play for the Lombardi Trophy. And you you think about the NFL's officiating and and how those teams were affected by it. They, they still had their chances to win the game. You can't blame the officiating. It played a part, but you can't blame it entirely. But you wonder why the league has that conspiracy theory problem when games are officiated so poorly. And then you add the fact that as bad as the National Football League wants the number two TV market to be all gaga over the National Football League, it just isn't. It hasn't been. I don't think it'll ever, ever reach the, the level they want it to do, even with two teams in the market. So it's a, it's a reflection of, okay, we're tired of the Patriots. Gosh, how many more Super Bowls? They've been in nine. Can we get somebody else? Can somebody in the AFC please rise up? <laughs> uh, but another football season coming gone, and uh, we got the spring football coming up. We'll be talking about that in future days. Got a big college basketball game coming up Thursday night. We're recording on a Wednesday at CFE Arena. UCF and Houston will be squaring off in a big American Athletic Conference matchup. And Robert Land from Houston Sports Talks podcast will be joining us to preview that game in just a little bit. Yeah. 
And as we continue our series on 30 years of Orlando Magic Basketball, it is my pleasure to introduce the Senior Vice President of the Orlando Magic, the man that was there from the very beginning, Pat Williams. Hello, Pat. Thanks for joining us tonight. Jeff, I'm well, and uh, good to join you. Good to chat. How are you? I'm doing great. So, uh... When Jimmy Hewitt approached you in the mid-80s and floated the idea of NBA expansion basketball in Orlando, what was your initial reaction, and what then clicked to make you think, hey, we got something here? Jeff, in September, early September of 1985, I was down here. I was a GM of the Sixers, but I came down for a speaking engagement. Uh, I got hooked up with a businessman. I'd met a time before Jimmy Hewitt, and... uh, uh, one of his pastor friends, John Tolson, when I finished speaking, they uh, drove me to the airport uh, to go back to Philly. In the course of the conversation, uh, I just simply raised a question. I said, would pro basketball ever go in Florida? And where would you put the team, Miami or Tampa? <laughs> well, that got, that got both of them really upset. I mean, I didn't know Florida that well. And they said, you wouldn't put it in either place, you'd put it right here in Orlando. Well, I had seen uh, downtown Orlando, there was really no skyline. Uh, there was no arena. I'd flown into the airport earlier, and boy, that was nothing to look at. <laughs> uh, there was no Universal Studios, there was no big convention center. Ooh, Orlando. And... Uh, uh, they said, absolutely. I said, well, if you believe that, uh, maybe you should go up and see the commissioner, David Stern. Uh, there's a little bit of rumbling that perhaps the league was interested in adding some more cities. Uh, and then I got out and flew back to Philly and thought nothing of it. But later that week, Jimmy called me and said, Bubba. He calls everybody Bubba. Mm-hmm. He, said, he said, we're going up to see the commissioner. We got an appointment. I said, my goodness, and then Jimmy and his brother went up to see David Stern, and they came back, and Jimmy called me, and he said, there's nothing for sure, but he said, at least they're uh, they're thinking about it. And uh, Jimmy kind of got the sense that if anything happened, the uh, entry fee would be about $25 million, which was a staggering amount of money at that point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as that uh, winter of the 85-86 winter went on, uh, Jimmy kept kept me posted. Uh, they got moving on getting a building up, and uh, he put an ownership group together. And I mean, this guy, Jimmy Hewitt, was dead serious. I mean, I kind of felt that I'd, I'd uh, created a monster. <laughs> and uh, finally, in April of 86, Jimmy said to me, uh, he said, we've gone as far as we can go down here. You know, we've got this building moving, and I've got an ownership group ready. And uh, But uh, if, you're, if you're not going to come down and head this up, he said, I'm just going to, uh, we'll just end it. Well, uh, what that meant was I had to make a decision. Stay in my home area of Philadelphia with the Sixers, or uh, take a, a, a flying risky leap and moving a family of six children to come down here and, uh, and had this this wild goose chase, really, to see if Orlando could land a NBA expansion team. Well, that's what we decided to do. I left Philadelphia and in June of 86, arrived here. We had a press conference to announce that we were on our way to the NBA. <clears throat> we spent 10 months working. 
arguing and uh, putting shoe leather to the pavement. And finally, in April of 87, at the owners' meeting in New York, the league shocked everybody when they announced they were going to accept four new teams. Miami, uh, Orlando, Charlotte, and Minnesota. That's how all four of us got in. They took all four of us. By then, they had raised the price tag to get in up to $32.5 million. Listen, no team had ever sold for that kind of money, not even close. Mm-hmm. Somehow or other, all four of us uh, ponied up, and uh, Charlotte and Miami got to start in the fall of 88, and Orlando and Minnesota came in in 89, and Jeff, that's why we're, right now we're celebrating our 30th year as a team in the NBA. So, Pat, um, what do you think tipped the scales in the favor of the Magic being included in that group of four? Well, first of all, uh, the, the owners of the league were not going to turn down $32.5 <laughs> million. They'd never heard of such a fee, such kind of money. You multiply that by four franchises, if my math is right, that's well over $100,000, $100 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, divided up among, oh, what, eight, 16, 18 team owners. That was a, a huge hit to their bottom line. I think that was a big part of it. And we really sold Orlando firmly on the future. Uh, I kept saying, you got to look at this city in 10 years, or 20 years. I didn't say 30. <laughs> but here we, here we are, Jeff, with this booming city here in Central Florida. Yes. Uh, the growth staggers anybody who looks at it. Everywhere you turn, the city is growing and expanding and stretching out and going up in the air, and oh boy, it, 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 just, it just stuns me to see and compare it with what it was 30-some years ago. So we were right on that front, telling the league, you've got to look at this city down the road, and uh, that uh, that statement certainly has been accurate. So you had then had to put a team together, and the first Magic team there was the expansion draft, and we got a collection of guys that uh, were were veteran players, but basically were left unprotected, and they turned out to have some amazing grit and made this town fall in love with them. Jeff, we hired a good coach. Matty Gukas came down to be our coach, and then we worked hard and studying those options everybody could protect uh, x number of players the rest were exposed and and minnesota and us uh, went through the expansion draft sydney green um terry catledge reggie theus otis smith sam vincent scott skiles old-time magic fans will remember those names jerry reynolds yep uh, Nick Anderson was our first draft choice in the 89 draft. Mm-hmm. Turned out to be a, a you know an absolute rock of a player here for a decade. But that veteran team, uh, they, we had our moments. Beat Detroit in the first preseason game ever. Boy, that was something. Mm-hmm. And we had wins. We, had, we beat the Lakers, and we beat the Bulls one night. And, oh, there was some excitement in the old, uh, the old Orlando Arena. And uh, our fans, I think that was what was so staggering. I mean, the building was full every night with these absolute rabid fans. Mm-hmm. Noisy, loud, and colorful. 
<laughs> I mean, some of our fans were worth the price of admission just to watch. No doubt. No doubt. Including the fat guy. Including the fat guy. Yes, uh, I was just you having know, a... how, how do you invent a fat guy who came <laughs> down out of the stands when we were rallying and started running around the building, screaming and waving and getting our fans excited and uh, the, the sports magic team that invented, you know, those slingshot shots and guns shooting t-shirts up in this crowd and all that was new. Um, stuff arrived and our, our magic dance team and boy, it was a show. It was a show. And when the magic uh, pulled off a wind with everything else going on, all oh, this town loved to celebrate. So, Pat, you you built that first uh, team, then a few seasons revolve in, and then the then the I guess the question would be: Were you at one time a great ping pong player? Because ping pong balls seem to have uh, worked well in your favor, as the Magic were able to uh, land Shaquille O'Neal and the rights to get to Penny Hardaway and and turn this franchise into a championship contender. Well, in '92, Jeff, we won that lottery, and that was the year Shaq came out. Now, that was the easiest draft pick in the history of the sport. Mm-hmm. And then the next year, uh, miraculously, uh, that ping pong ball of ours uh, popped up again. And then that's how we ended up with Penny after some maneuvering. And uh, Shaq and Penny were quite a duo. Uh, they took us to some amazing heights. Unfortunately, it didn't last long enough. Mm-hmm. We were hopeful that would be a decade, you know, of excitement. But Shaq had the right to move, and he went to L.A., and Penny was here. But soon thereafter, his knees went out. He had two knee surgeries, uh, one on each knee, and, uh, you know, he was never never the same again, really. He had some good moments, but uh, he was never quite the same. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but for those years that they were together with Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson in his prime, and then... Uh, um, Horace Grant joined us. We, we had quite a club, and uh, we accomplished a lot. But we came short, and uh, uh, people will be playing the what if game forever. What if Jack had stayed, and what if Penny had stayed healthy? What might have been? But now that's sports. That's the way it is, and uh, you, you just keep on trucking. That's what I've learned. Yeah, no doubt. And then. After the, the, the Shaq and Penny era, we moved into the Heart and Hustle era. Uh, Doc Rivers had uh, brought some resurgence into the team, and we got the likes of uh, Daryl Armstrong and uh, Bo Outlaw, uh, Ben Wallace, uh, and, and an- another team that was a hardworking team that the town embraced. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, we saw Doc Rivers make his coaching debut here. And, of course, Doc has gone on and become one of the top coaches, uh, one of the better coaches of all time, when you look at it. Mm-hmm. And he, he started here and uh, put his roots here, and, and his family has never left Winter Park. Uh, they've, they've made this their home as Doc travels and coaches. Uh, but that was a neat team, fun team, where they played hard every night. Uh, they really went after it. And that led to another ping-pong miracle, Jeff, in, in 2004, and that was the Dwight Howard miracle mm-hmm. uh, coming out, out of high school, and we had the first pick, and there he was. And uh, people forget those early years, boy, how good Dwight was. He was young and strong and 
springy boy. He could leap, and he did. He did a lot of things. He was a rebounder. He was a tough inside player. We had great success in that period, and and with Shaq, uh, we got back to the NBA Finals again with with Dwight. Yeah, and and his supporting cast. So uh, those are all positive memories, you know, that we will have. Two trips to the finals is pretty good, Jeff. No, uh, a lot, a lot of franchises have never done that. So we're uh, we're, we're we're certainly grateful for those those highs. Uh, the lows are not a lot of fun, but they're challenging because you're always trying to make good picks and uh, rebuild your franchise and add more talent and. So there's nothing boring about them either. They're they're always very stimulating. So, Pat, when you mentioned Dwight Howard's, so when that draft came out, the the conversation was centered around him out of high school and Emeka Okafor, who was an established college senior, won a national championship at UConn. Uh, What went into picking picking Dwight over Okafor? Well, there was... Certainly a lot of people who thought we had made a mistake, uh, that Okafer was uh, established and he had had great success. But there was something about Dwight when you when you really looked at him and studied him. We got him in for a workout. We spent time interviewing him, found him to be a, a, a charming young guy, you know, really. Uh, we met his family, and we just bet on the future that, uh, that he had a chance to be a, a special player. Uh, and he was. Uh, he started uh, right away as an 18-year-old, uh, would have been a college freshman, and there he was in the starting lineup on, on opening night. And, th- and there he stayed for the next, what, 10 years, almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he, uh, Dwight d- decided that he wanted to be elsewhere, uh, that he, he needed a bigger market and and that started his bouncing around to L.A., to Houston. Atlanta. To Atlanta, to, to, Washington, to Charlotte, or to Washington. and Oh, boy. Uh, I, I would say, and I bet you Dwight would tell you the same thing. He's, you know, I wish I just stayed in Orlando. I think a lot of... Played- yeah, I think a lot of people have that, have that uh, feeling that if, if he was stuck here... Uh, it would have been another another amazing. Uh, not that he didn't have a, a a great legacy on the court, but he could have had a had one even bigger if he had he stayed. Yeah, there'd be a there'd be a statue of him outside the building when he retired. Uh, he he'd, he'd be uh, he'd have a, an adoring fan base forever. He'd have a home forever here. But as it stands, he doesn't have a home anywhere. <laughs> that is NBA wise. It's not. It's really. It's not here. It's sure not in L.A. or Houston or Atlanta or Charlotte or Washington. You know, as far as being beloved in, in any city in the league, it's it's not there for him. Yeah. So and we told him that. We told him that. We told him, Dwight, by moving, you're not automatically going to be loved. <laughs> Um, but you are here, you know, but he, uh, he didn't listen, you know, he, uh, had other people talking to him as well. And it just, uh, it's just, it's a sad story really, but a good lesson, mm-hmm. uh, to, if, if you're, if you're a ball player and you have a chance to, 
and spend your whole career in one city uh, and be loved and be appreciated. Boy, I I tell athletes all the time, do it. Yeah, your career your career is going to be quite short. Uh, you're going to be out of the game a lot longer than you're in it, mm-hmm. and you want to be able to uh, be in a community where you're really appreciated. You want to be Cal Ripken in Baltimore. Yeah, that would... or, or, the, or the late Johnny Unitas in Baltimore. You want to be uh, John Havlicek or Ted Williams in Boston, or mm-hmm. Larry Bird or Bobby Orr. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you want to be Joe Namath in New York, where uh, where that's that's your city. That's that's where you're identified. Yeah, and and always always appreciated. That that's what I would want. So Pat, uh, the the. It's tough. It's been tough selling the last few years, and and uh, do you feel like the 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 that things are pointed in the right direction? And and how can the magic compete with the the the, the formation of the super teams where the superstars are getting together? Is it going to take another ping pong ball? Well, ultimately in this league, uh, Jeff, you've got to draft well, particularly when you're picking high. Uh, you've got to nail those picks, you know, when you're at the top of the draft. Uh, we've had our share of successes, where some some didn't work out. Um, but uh, that's the only way I know to do it. You've got to draft well. You got to scout well. You've got to draft well. Then you've got to teach and and train well and coach well. And 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 above all, you got to be patient uh, because young players are not automatically ready. Uh, to play at a high level sometimes, and you got to be very patient with them. And um, uh, so that—that's—that's that's what I can say to you. I—I I don't spend a lot of time worrying about what the so-called great teams are doing. We—we we just have to focus on what we're doing, and and do the best we can to keep adding good pieces and making smart decisions. Uh, I do know this that Orlando when things are going well, is a destination market. Mm-hmm. Grant, Grant Hale couldn't wait to get here to play. Yep. Horace Grant was begging to, to end up here in Orlando. Tracy McGrady uh, as well. And, and there, Tracy McGrady wanted to come home. Uh, we almost convinced Tim Duncan to come here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is years ago. So I, I don't worry about Orlando uh, being a, a non-destination market there's there's no better place to be you got great weather we got a great arena we got great ownership we got a great fan base great airport uh, I mean everything here there's no state income tax mm-hmm. uh, there's there's no better place to be if I'm a, a ball player and, and listen that's why so many ball players all that live here in the off season yep and every every year, I, I learn about more of them who have homes here that I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, not just basketball players, baseball and football players too. Yeah, we had co- every NBA coach or every Magic coach uh, who has stayed here: Matt Gukas, Brian Hill, um, Doc Rivers, Chuck Daly's daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may have missed one or two, but Stan Van, they, uh, Stan Van Gundy. They, they, all, they all end up staying here. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that that you also uh, did 
in conjunction to uh, running an NBA franchise is uh, you dabbled quite a bit in the radio business and had shows on several stations, including when I was at WGTO. And uh, you brought a lot of great guests to Sam Sneed's Tavern in Metro West. I can remember you bringing Dr. Jack Ramsey uh, uh, and, and, and guys like that. Uh, what was the what was what was the the best memory you have of doing radio? Well, Jeff, I'm still doing it. I do three uh, different shows each weekend here. Uh, one uh, is a um, all sports talk hour. One is a, a Christian station WTLN for an hour, mm-hmm. and then an, an all news talk show on uh, WDBO. So I'm still involved. I'm fascinated by radio. Um, I love to talk to people uh, who primarily who have written because they've got great, great knowledge, a great passion for their topic. I'm innately curious, and uh, so I uh, I developed a love for radio when I was very young, uh, listening to the broadcast broadcasters in Philadelphia. Uh, I was a a, a a real student of radio. And so I love keeping my hand in it that way. Uh, I'm still speaking around the country motivationally, and I'm still writing books, Jeff. My 110th book has just come out this week, uh, Character Carved in Stone. So I still have a very full platter, that's for sure. Yeah, you are a man of many talents. So tell, let's tell, talk about your new book. It just came out this week. So. It's uh, based on the 12 core virtues of West Point that build leaders and pr- produce success. So a lot of things interest you. What uh, what led you to be inspired to write this book? Jeff, a few years ago, I was invited to go to West Point to speak to the Army uh, teams and coaches. And after that was over, they gave me a tour of the campus. And I ended up at a, a park called Trophy Point. Uh, which looks out over the historic Hudson River. And I noticed uh, that there were 12 benches uh, there in the park. And I also noticed at the end of each bench, there was a word carved into the concrete on both ends of the bench, a different word, compassion, courage, dedication, dignity, integrity, loyalty, trust, those kind of words. And then did a little more checking, and we found that the class of 1935 at West Point had donated those benches, and those words were designed to inspire and motivate uh, the students to live by those 12 words and uh, make make them part of their life. So as I looked at those benches, I thought, boy, that's fascinating. I said, boy, that, that that could well be a book. Fortunately, but the publisher agreed, and, uh, uh, we put it together, we did a chapter on each word, and, and found a West Point product who we thought best exemplified that particular word. So you'll read a chapter about Ulysses S. Grant, and Dwight D. Eisenhower, and Douglas MacArthur, uh, General Omar Bradley, General Matthew Ridgway. You'll read a chapter on Mike Krzyzewski. That's right. A West Point grad who, who, by the way, also wrote the foreword to the book, which thrilled us. And um, so the book is designed not just to teach, but also inspire. Uh, we feel it's uh, got a message to young and old alike. Uh, I'm really hopeful that uh, the West Point students will get a hold of the book and 
learn something maybe about their campus that they weren't really aware of right there at that little park called Trophy Point. So that's how the book came about. It's uh, just coming out this week, Jeff. And it's um, getting into bookstores, and Amazon, always a great way to order books. Ravel is the publisher, and uh, I hope people enjoy it and benefit from it. Yeah, I know you uh, not only have written a lot of books, I know you have read a lot of books. I know you always had a lot of authors on uh, uh, the radio show. Um, So what, uh, what... how many more books do you have in you, Pat? <laughs> well, there are more coming, Jeff. There'll be another book out this fall called Lead Like Walt. Uh, since I arrived uh, here 33 years ago, uh, I became fascinated with Disney World and, uh, and above all fascinated with Walt Disney himself. And I've studied him in depth and we wrote a book years back called How to Be Like Walt. But I'm intrigued with Walt Disney as a leader. What was it about him uh, that allowed all of this to happen? What, what, what did he do well as a leader uh, that has uh, allowed this Disney brand to, to go on endlessly and continue to grow and, and flourish? Uh, so we're studying Walt Disney very closely under that narrow lens of leadership. That book will be out this fall. HCI is the publisher, and uh, we're we're getting we're excited about that book as well, Jeff. Well, I tell you what, you mentioned you you brought the name Walt up, and that uh, brings me back to a, another memory of uh, you doing radio WGTO. You had Walt Clyde Frazier uh, on the program, and what makes that so memorable for me personally was that you know he, the Knicks were in town, so we had to go call the game. You stayed at Sneeds to have dinner, and. Walt needed a ride back to the arena, so here, so I give him a ride back. Now, keep in mind, even though he's a guard, he's still a very tall guy, and I'm driving a compact vehicle, so you can imagine how cramped the poor man was. But the thing I learned the most about him was we talked very little basketball. We talked a lot about him and his passion for gardening, which, I, which was quite amazing. Well, Walt is, is a well-rounded guy, and you know what, Jeff? He has been doing the Knicks telecasts ever since. I mean, he, all these years, uh, I know it's got to be every bit of 30-plus uh, years. Yeah, he's been, uh, and, and always has a, a different wardrobe for every game. <laughs> Not unlike and when he was a player, right? <laughs> you'll never see him in the same outfit. Uh, his his clothes closet must be, you know, the size of a city block. <laughs> but 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 he's he's a he's a dandy. He's good, and uh, I'm I'm glad that worked out. You got to spend some time with a with a sports legend. Yeah, no, yeah, it was definitely one of my favorite memories. So, uh, Pat Williams, it's been such a treat having you on and getting and it was great talking to you again. And wish you continued success in. Radio, the, the with the magic and and with your books. Thank you again very much for the time. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Good to talk to you. And now we switch gears and talk college hoops. Big game at CFE Arena on Thursday night as the Houston Cougars take on the UCF Knights. Robert Land from UC from not from UCF but from Houston. Uh, Sports Talk, the podcast, is joining us now to talk about the big game tomorrow night. And so tell me, with uh, the Cougars ranked number 12, are they stealing any headlines at all from James Harden? 
It's hard to get traction here in Houston. It's weird because, I mean, I talk about it on the podcast all the time that, hey, look, look there's a team in the town that uh, is, could be competing for a national championship. I mean, they're going to – it looks like they're going to have to be a three or four seed in the tournament with their NET rating and, you know, this uh, the record that they're putting up. And they they beat great opponents this year too. It's not like they're, they're, a non-conference schedule wasn't great. And so they're, they're, they're doing a nice job all the way around the conference isn't bad. So, you know, I, I feel like they should be getting a little bit more headlines, but it's just hard college sports in Houston. It's hard to crack in to the public uh, and, and get their attention these days. Yeah. I imagine, especially with the Texans and of course, James Harden doing what he is doing uh, is totally off the charts there. So five years ago when Kelvin Sampson shows up, you know, he, he comes in, he's had a checkered past what was the reaction then? Do you did did you think it would be long term when he uh, arrived at Houston? That's a good question. I mean, it, I, I thought it would be a stepping stone where to, to get himself kind of back out there, get his name back going. You know, he he had sort of revived himself with the Houston Rockets. He was an assistant coach, so he was in town. It was a perfect match for the Cougars to try to uh, get somebody that at least had you know, a pedigree of winning and doing great things in the past. And, you know, they, they've been trying all sorts of different coaches and different things. And it's nothing has worked over the years. I mean, uh, prior to last year, it had been, I think it was 34 years since their last tournament win. You had to go back to 1984 and five slam a to catch their last win in an NCAA tournament game, which is, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to believe for those of us. And I'm one of those that's, you know, was old enough to be there and live through that and how big a part of the Houston community and the Houston Cougars uh, were in just, not, you know, nationally. And uh, obviously, you know, they had the great 30 for 30 recently. I mean, just all of that was, uh, it, it was a huge deal back then. The 30 for 30 did not exaggerate. It was a national phenomenon. No doubt about it. I remember those days quite fondly as well. So the American is definitely a, 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 a strong basketball conference. They're talking about potentially being in a four-bid league. And we got a lot of teams in the fight for that. And it's a, it's a dogfight. I mean, it seems like every night, you know, Houston lost to Temple. They avenged that loss uh, this past weekend as their only blemish on their record. You know, look at a team like Memphis. They blow out UCF, and then they go to South Florida and get buzz on. So there are no nights off for any team in this conference. Right. And, and again, that's what I think makes it so remarkable. And what's so cool about college basketball and college football doesn't have. And Orlando, you guys know about that, <laughs> your, your area that, you know, it's frustrating because if you're not at a power five, who cares? But in college basketball, you know, we got all these teams they are all on even ground. Uh, this conference is, uh, you know, a conference that everybody can compete, not only to get in the tournament, but to make a splash there and do something. But the main thing is you get in the dance. There is a dance that you can get in, in in college basketball, and that's great. And and if you look at the Cougars this year, uh, what's amazing to me is just how consistent they've been uh, through all of these games because their bench. I mean, they they're so deep, and if some guy isn't having the best night, somebody else picks them up. I mean, it's it's the definition of a team. The Cougars are not filled with all these McDonald's All Americans, and and uh, you, you're looking at the roster going. Any of these guys have a real chance at the NBA, you know, maybe Armani Brooks because he's just got a great outside shot in the NBA. That's so valuable. He's, you know, got some length, some athleticism. 
one of those wing guys that would fit in the NBA, but they're, they're not, there's not anybody that's going to be a first round pick. And that's, what's really cool about this team is, you know, you, you, they're the story of the, you know, sort of the little engine that could right now in a way, even though, you know, there's some definite talent on the team. Yeah, I was looking at their stats and yeah, they look like they get contributions all up and down the lineup, both scoring and rebounding. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all, all over the place. I mean, primarily the two main guys, Corey Davis and Armani Brooks, but on any given night, somebody could have a nice night, somebody could have a big night, whether it's a Fabian White or, you know, Cedric Alley, Chris Harris, just you name the guy and they can uh, make a contribution. And, and, and that's uh, going to help them, I think, uh, come tournament time, because, you know, if you get in the tournament, it's uh, not a situation where you can have your main guy drop off if that's all you've got. But if you've got a bunch of different guys and any given one of those guys can step up. Uh, to me, the big question mark when, once they get to that point and they get to the tournament is, you know, can they compete with the big boys? Can their main guys get off the baskets and, or get off the shots and, and, and just uh, have the athleticism to take it to another level when you're, you know, you're being guarded – uh, like it's, you know, every second is the last second of a championship game and, and it gets a lot tougher. And, and that's what I'm interested to see. Yeah. And of course, the game tomorrow night, uh, Thursday night, we're recording on a Wednesday uh, against the Knights and uh, UCF hangs their hat on defense. How do you think Houston can match up? I mean, if that's the case, I, I think they're, I, I would be more concerned with a team that has the athletes to overcome the Cougars defense because their defense has been, you know, for the most part, it's been pretty suffocating. The rotations, the way they, uh, they're all over the place. Uh, they rebound. I mean, they're, they're nonstop. They, they poke the ball away. And that's where, again, where that depth counts because, you know, you just bring in another guy, another guy, as guys get tired, they come in waves. And, you know, to me, that's, that's the real key. But if they go up against a team, I think, with these ex- extraordinary guys that have you know, maybe NBA ability that you go, we can play the best defense in in the world, but we can't, this guy, his offense is just flat out better. And I think that would be my bigger concern with the Cougars these days is is that type of athlete, that type of team, Uh, you know, Duke, I guess would be a perfect example of that. But, you know, there are other teams like that in the conversation and, and, and that would be my concern. Yeah, well, we might be looking at a game in the 40s with uh, two stellar defenses going at it uh, at CFE Arena. Um, And then things don't get easier for Houston, too, because Cincinnati would be next on the agenda. So it's uh, we're definitely in crunch time of February in college hoops for 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 sure. One loss is just still hard for me to wrap my brain around after all of these years with the Cougars trying to get it going and trying to get it going. All of a sudden uh, they're doing this. And, And the other thing that. I think it uh, was a question mark for me after last year was without Rob Gray. I mean, they're doing this without a guy that I thought was, okay, they had that go-to guy. Well, who's going to do it? And it, it doesn't necessarily seem like there's that one guy. You know, Corey Davis and Armani Brooks I mentioned earlier. And Brooks, to me, is the guy in a tournament where you've got to get off a shot. You know, he seems to be better under pressure with guys draped around him. And, and that's the type of stuff that you're going to see. But uh, what's extraordinary is, you know, not having that sort of go-to marquee player like Rob Gray was, somebody that I thought uh, could get off his shot against anybody and could, you know, run an offense and, and get other people. He could do everything that you would want from from your key guy. And and they don't have that this year. So that, that to me, that's remarkable that they've been able to do this. Well, thank you very much for giving us the scouting report. It should be uh, quite a quite a ball game to watch. And uh, Robert Land from Houston Sports Talk, the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. 
Thank you so much. Pleasure to join you. Ah, yes. College hoops. I love it when it gets into February and we start getting down to the nitty gritty. So we are recording and dropping the podcast on Wednesday night. The game is Thursday night. So hopefully you'll get to listen to or you're listening to the podcast before the game. If you're listening Friday and beyond, you already know who won. So hopefully, <laughs> from my perspective, I hope it's a night's win. But nonetheless, definitely great to talk some college hoops. And as far as UCF goes, I they're having a great season as well. The two areas of concern I have with the Knights are as follows. They're in the games that they have lost uh, to Memphis, to FAU. Uh, there was, you know, the conversation was, you know, we just, you know, the other team came out with more energy. So I do worry about that a little bit. I love Johnny Dawkins as the head coach, and I have no issues with the mild-mannered, very calm uh, but still authoritative approach. But I think on occasion, I think you might need to light the fire just a little bit and, and, and kind of rattle the cage. Maybe he does that off the court, but in game situations, halftime, would like to see a little bit more fire here and there. I mean, that is, to me, an issue if you have to worry if the team is going to come out with the proper energy. The other big concern I have with the Knights is... They do not handle the press well at all. If I was coaching against them, I would press them a lot. Uh, they have a hard time navigating the ball in bounds and getting it past the half-court line. Uh, they struggle with that mightily. Are they a little bit better than they were earlier in the year? Maybe, but not by much. So that would be a concern uh, with the Knights come down the stretch in the conference tournament and hopefully in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they're going to have to get in a, you know, they've had games where they've had large leads and they've been whittled down to, you know, uh, smaller deficits and, uh, and, and the free throw shooting. I, uh, let me add a third to that. The free throw shooting is also an issue. Uh, I almost forgot about that. How could I have forgotten about that? Because their free throw shooting is not very good at all. If they shot 75, 80%, they would, they would not relinquish the big leads that they have. So, that's kind of where that stands. So, this has been a packed edition of the podcast. Again, thank you for listening. Hope you'll take the time to subscribe and get us anytime. Uh, lots of great uh, 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 episodes uh, on the magic that we had t- talked about doing our series. In addition, we, again, we thank Pat Williams. It was great to talk to him. Uh, it was always a thrill working with him in my radio career. Um, but, uh, the folks like Barry Cooper from the Orlando Sentinel, the, when he was the beat writer, uh, with the newspaper back in the day, Eric Lee from Mix 105.1. And we've talked to Andrew Monaco who worked with the magic. Uh, we've had a lot of, uh, great conversation and I hope you enjoyed that series. And again, please do take the time to subscribe. We are available on Apple podcasts, Google play, Spotify, Tune in and SoundCloud. So we definitely hope that you'll do that. You can go to Jeff Allen Sports Talk, click on the subscribe button, and you can find your favorite podcast venue. And with that, we are done here.
Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer's Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at KramerSalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E. LVE.net.